glad that in a, a world where there are few things you can anchor your life to, we have a firm foundation. In the person of God and the Word of God, His communication to us, uh, we are truly a blessed people. Through the 20th century, uh, some changes have been occurring almost in an evolutionary process in the way we look at truth. Previously, truth had been considered something that was universal, something that was objective, it was reliable, it was knowable, and the quest was to discover truth, what truth was, and uh, Early on in the Middle Ages, truth was based on God and his revelation. And as we moved later into the period of the Enlightenment, there developed an understanding that was independent from God, uh, that we could seek knowledge uh, founded in science that would be applicable to all people at all, in all places at all times and uh, to all cultures. And in time... Uh, that scientific approach uh, kind of morphed into a personal approach. Instead of seeking an objective truth, I create my own truth. Uh, truth became subjective, and what was truth to me could be different from you, and I would have my truth, and you would have your truth, and, and uh, we would construct our own truth uh, proposals. And, and that was okay, you could be diametrically opposed to what my truth uh, propositions were, and that would be okay, that, that both of us could have that. And into the religious environment, this shows itself in religious pluralism. And religious pluralism began as something whereby you'd have people from all different religions that would practice their own uh, religion, and that was fine, and, and, uh, and uh, that was uh, tolerated. And, uh, but that kind of morphed also beyond that. Religious pluralism came, became something that would signify not just the existence of my saying you have the right to have your own um, faith and, and truth values, but to affirm that all of these truth values were legitimate and on, on equal footing. They were all equally valid, in other words. And um, so the conception developed that, that all religions have validity. And uh, kind of the picture that was used was of a wheel. And at the hub of the wheel is God or truth. And off that wheel came spokes of all the different religions of the world. And, and so all of them were good and all of them were valid. And, and all of them, as divergent as they would, uh, were the, the whole notion was all paths lead to God. And we hear that kind of thing regularly. And in this climate, uh, it's, it's a major faux pas to suggest that one is superior to another or one is wrong and one is right. Uh, or to try to persuade others of your view or your religion or your faith or your truth that we had to just validate everyone's religion and truth as being um, okay. And uh, the worst charge that we could face is that of intolerance. 
So accepting and validating all different faiths and truths was something that we should all embrace. And we dare not, uh, dare not dispute, that, dispute that or even try to, um, to uh, help somebody else see it from a different uh, perspective. Um, that would be arrogant. It would be offensive. And that attitude probably most of us feel in the world in which we live now. And uh, the thought is, well, it's not what you believe. It's that you believe and you believe it with sincerity. And it seems to me that we've lost the battle for the truth. Uh, Previously, uh, when people tried to place the the Christian values out in the uh, in academia, for instance, uh, they would have a Christian apologist that would come into a university and he made a uh, dialogue or, or have a debate with a person who was um, an atheist or something like that. And uh, they would try and, and prove the existence of God or the person of Jesus Christ or the, the reliability of the Bible or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we would put truth claims out and we would, we would kind of... Uh, uh, try and, and present a, a, a claim and invite people to join us. It's interesting. We don't see that kind of thing in the university like we saw it in the 70s and the 80s. We kind of moved by that to the point uh, in which it's, it's kind of impolite to even think that way. And, and, and so what, what, what kind of happened was instead of a, a battle for truth and understanding what truth is and, and allowing that truth to guide us in our life, the attitude, if you wrapped it up in a word, it's, it's kind of like whatever. I believe this. Well, whatever, that's good if you like it. It doesn't matter. because It doesn't matter what you believe. Believe something and be sincere about it. And, and what happens is that led to the, the kind of the privatization of religion so that your religion is fine. Just keep it to yourself. You, you don't share it. You don't expect others to embrace it. Uh, you just have your religion and keep it to yourself. It has no place in, in the uh, marketplace. Uh, it's okay for you but keep it there. And and one of our past prime ministers declared that he was a Christian and he was a Catholic and his government is dealing with all kinds of moral issues. And he said, look, my faith doesn't have any, it doesn't impinge in any way in my ability to rule and and separate my faith from uh, my faith beliefs from my political life and what I do. And and if it's not good for that, then what good is it, I would say. Um, And and so what we have is um, we... We have this situation, and we can't, in a, in a practical way, live with this kind of thing. It's, it's illogical, really, to have absolutely diametrically opposed views and um, have them both correct and both very opposite. But yet, that is the way we function. And so, it's good for you to have knowledge, and it's your knowledge, and you've got to be sincere about that knowledge. It's interesting, the first president of the United States, George Washington, December 13th, 1799, had a sore throat, woke up with a sore throat, had some infection. And uh, he was a big proponent of one of the medical treatments of that day, and it was bloodletting. And so after he wasn't getting better uh, and, and it was getting worse, he got his physicians to come in, and they would nick a vein and catch the blood in, in some kind of a container. 
And over about 16 hours, they bled him out uh, five to seven uh, pints. You know, if you do the conversion, that's almost like carrying one of those big three-bag things of milk. So you get rid of the poison in your system and you regenerate uh, healthy ones. And most physicians, as they read the report, the physician's reports, think that's what's killed him. So he had something that he believed was true. And you can believe it's true, but if it's false, it's not going to help you. And, uh, and so the whole notion that all roads lead to God uh, is not true also. If you get out in the 401 and you want to go to Ottawa and you go west, you're going to go to Windsor. You, you, can't, you can't work it that way. And, um, and so that's the environment in which we live. Um, there's a, there's a lyrics to a song uh, that Kurt Elling wrote called Resolution. And here, here are the lyrics to the song. God, king above all other gods, lead us now so we can walk wherein the prophets said that we would trod. Buddha, tell a sutra like a spell. Teach us well to answer in silence with the calling of bells. Allah, Bring us to a good alarm. Subjugate our wills to answer you like a mighty arm. Elohim is a pillar of light in the dark and leading all his people to light, for he is the king of the fire. He brings the fire into everything that's living on earth, in the sun, in the stars. Take a spark of it deep within you. Put it to the test. It will do the rest. I confess it will be like climbing up Mount Everest. I can't express the view from there, but it's for you to follow through. Lama, show the power, power's bright array. Bless the climb and settle the peace upon the universe's dark display. And Jesus, remember every promise made. Present yourself in the middle of the prayers that we say. Vishnu, prepare us, uh, preserve us along the way. Keep us clear of the final thunderbolt of the judgment day. Hear me, hear what I say what I ask for. He's included basically all the major world religions. God and the prophets. Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for God in the Old Testament. Allah, the the, uh, uh, Islam. Uh, Lama, the Dalai Lama. Jesus. Vishnu, a Hindu god. All of them are sought. All of them are prayed to. Because everything is legitimate. Everything uh, works. Uh, I, I heard a song, a, fr- a friend of my pastor, a friend of mine in, in Calcutta sent me a song last week. It was called uh, Colonial Cousins. And it was how all the, the religions in India could work together to make a better life for their children coming up and whatnot. It's, it's, you know, it sounds like such a wonderful thing. But, but what it is, it's... It's this syncretism of all religions working together. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. But does that wash with God? Is that what God wants? Is he okay with that? With believing anything? Is sincerity enough for our faith? Will it be enough for you when you stand before God? Can you find assurance and certainty in that? You see, I found that you don't have to read very far into the Bible to discover 
that truth matters to God. Truth matters to God. We've played down truth. We said truth is not important. It's just that you believe something and you believe it with sincerity. But when you look at the Bible and you start at the very beginning, you have God and Adam and Eve in a paradise, in a garden, with instructions, do not eat the fruit of this specific tree. And disobedience, and that disobedience brought judgment and banishment from the garden. And we see their children, Abel and Cain, and and they both bring a sacrifice to God, and Abel brings his sacrifice and God receives it. And Cain brings his sacrifice and God doesn't receive it. He says, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, it's not just what you do, that doesn't, that doesn't please me. And, and it's not far past there when, when there's a global deluge because God destroys um, the, all the people living on the earth with exception of one family because of their sinfulness. And God gives the Ten Commandments and he tells us who he is. I'm the Lord, your God. You'll have no other gods before me. And here's what I ask of you. Here's what I demand. And here are the truth claims that I'm laying out before you. And and then the prophets call the people to respond to the law of God and to come back when they have wandered. And Jesus himself wasn't backward about telling people like it was. Uh, Even the religious elite he called out, especially the religious elite. He told them that they were wrong, what they believed and how they practiced. He called them whitewashed tombs and blind guides and snakes. And, and uh, he threw over the ch- money changers' tables. And uh, he said to, a, he said to a, uh, a Samaritan woman, he said, you believe, you Samaritans believe what you don't know. So you're wrong in your belief, in essence, is what he said. Hey, we, Jesus... Newsflash, we don't talk like that. We don't say this is right or wrong. Everything is right. Well, Jesus, I guess, didn't get that, uh, didn't get that memo. Jesus told the religious leaders of his day, he said, you are of your father, the devil. Jesus, we don't say things like that. And in fact, in John's gospel, the word truth comes up 52 times. It seemed to be important. When you look through the rest of the New Testament, when you look at the epistles, the letters that are there, almost to everyone, they're dealing with some kind of error, theological error, truth claim error uh, that is affecting how people live. And so we're asking the question, can you be certain of your faith? And, uh, and can you know God will accept you? And last week we talked about the first test. And the first test we said was the, uh, the test of the gospel. And the gospel is this, that I am a sinner. I, I am condemned before God. That God loves me and Jesus sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. He was resurrected from the dead. And if I would put my faith and trust in him exclusively to take care of my sin and to bring me to God, that God would accept me on that basis. And uh, that, was, that was one test. And, and I would say to you, when you came in here, were you, were you, have you been so overwhelmed in God's love for you? Have you been so smitten by, by how awesome he is as we have sung about him and, and how wonderful he is and all he's done for us? And come to worship him. And thank him because he saved you. And it was all grace. It wasn't anything that you did. You couldn't do anything. That 
my friends, is, is a test. And the test is this. The gospel test. Am I trusting Jesus Christ exclusively for my salvation? That's the only answer that God will accept. But the, the question comes to me. If I trust in Jesus alone, what part does truth play in that? What part is knowledge involved in that? Does it matter what I believe? And it's interesting that in, in, as we said, in 1 John, in that five little chapters in that book at the end of the Bible, near the very end of the Bible, that, that 40 times he's talking about to know that there's knowledge and we need to know certain things. And truth is given as a guide. In fact, 10 times in 1 John he talks about truth. Four times he talks in Little second John, it's just, just a few paragraphs, four times. And in third John, also tiny, six times, talks about truth. So we want to talk today about a truth test. Um, G- John wanted to help his readers to have assurance about their standing with God. And we said that we need to trust Jesus alone, but what Jesus do we need to trust you see, there was a serious problem that the church was facing and, and that John was addressing in this. Uh, there were antichrists. He said, in, we're living in the last days and the antichrists have come. Antichrist means against Christ. It's people who are against Christ. And they'd become a part of the assembly, of the church there. He said there were false prophets and deceivers that had come in and they had challenged what they had been taught and they were sharing what Paul considered to be, or or John considered to be, heresy. And so the question is, well, what kind of Jesus are we to worship? What kind of Jesus are we to follow? What are we to look to? Was he a great man? Was he he a a wonderful moral teacher? Was he a tragic figure who lost his life because he was misunderstood and put on a cross and died? And who is this? And and is it important for that? And, And into this, we have... Three truth tests. And the first test is this. Um, Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. Uh, let's look at First uh, John 2. Uh, he says, I write to you. John says, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. I mean, they had been taught. They had been schooled. You, you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. He says there's right and wrong, there's truth and fallacy, there's error. Uh, and he, he goes on to say, who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He said there's wrong doctrine. And some of these teachers have said, you know, Jesus was not the Christ. That means the Messiah. He wasn't the Messiah. This is the Antichrist. And he who denies the Father and the Son. So he says, it is important what you believe. And if you believe... Um, If you believe the truth, then you will believe and understand that Jesus is the Christ. And these people that are telling you, "Uh -uh, he's not not the Messiah, uh, are wrong. It's false teaching. So the Messiah would be the king that would come. Uh, He would come and, and he would, as the Old Testament shows us, he would be a suffering servant. He would come and and die and be resurrected and return to heaven from where he would rule. Uh, the kingdom of God. 
And the false teachers denied this about Jesus. They denied that he was the Messiah. It was a denial of truth that in fact rendered those perpetrators not only as liars and antichrists, but they weren't, they weren't genuine believers. And so he says, it is important what you believe. It's not just that you believe in Jesus. It's important what you believe about Jesus. And apparently this denial was a fundamental truth that they were trying to change and dispose of. And John says, if you corrupt that and if you distort that, you are not a child of God. You are not his. Here's what he says in 1 John um, 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You in God's family? Are, are you a part of his family? Has his grace been extended to you? Well, he says, I'll tell you how you know. Because you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, the gospel was about Jesus, we said. And you can't recreate or refashion in our own way and make Jesus into the person that we want him to be. We must subscribe to the truth revealed by Jesus in Holy Scripture. Well, the second uh, truth test is this. Jesus is God. Jesus is is God. In, um, in uh, uh, 2, uh, 23 to 25, um, John says this, no one who denies the Son has the Father. If you deny Jesus and who he is as the Messiah, uh, he says you don't, you don't have uh, the Father. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning, they had been taught, abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So he says, um, there's a very important correlation. If you have Jesus, you have the Father. If you have the Father, you have Jesus. They go together. It's, it's a package deal. You can't say, hmm, I think I'm good. I like Jesus. I like the Son better than the Father. Uh, or I like the Father, but this Jesus thing is not for me. You can't say that. If you make that declaration, he's saying, you don't, you don't belong to him. But if you, if you accept the Son, you also accept the Father. If you accept the Father, you also accept the Son, and he dwells in you. He remains in you. Um, and so he, he says this, stay in there, and that's the place of eternal life. Now in 1 John 4, 14 and 15, he says this, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. Again, that mutual um, abiding and indwelling between the two. Now, here's the, here's the thing. What he's talking about is this father-son relationship between God the Father and Jesus. And we might skip over this and we might not understand the import of what is being said there. The language of father and son is this. When Jesus declares himself to be the son of God, it has rich and deep meaning. It means that he is declaring himself to be God. The Son is declaring himself to be God. In fact, in John 5 and 18, um, Jesus is talking about these kind of issues. And the Jews 
wanted to kill him. And he said, what do you want to kill me for? What, what did I do that we, oh, it's not anything you've done we want to kill you. We want to kill you because he was calling God his father, and listen to it, making himself equal with God. This is God the Son. He is fully God, fully divine. Jesus declares himself to be that. So in 1 John 5.20, right at the end of the little, bo- uh, the little uh, letter, we, we read this. And we know that the Son of God came and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true and his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So here are these guys coming in. They say, not only is Jesus not the Messiah, he's not God. And, the, and we need to correct that. Because if you believe that Jesus is not God, you're none of his. You see, truth matters to him. And, and so here he is. Um, we can't reject the truth claim that Jesus is not fully God and be a genuine believer. Are you checking it out? There's a third test, and the third test is this. Uh, Jesus is human. Jesus is human. Jesus is God, but he's also human. And we call him the God-man because he's fully God and fully human. And the false teachers were propagating uh, error that Jesus actually wasn't fully human. Uh, Some of them were suggesting that he was a phantom he wasn't. It wasn't a. Uh, he wasn't a real person. Some of them said that uh, you know a spirit came on him at his baptism and it left him, it left him before he was uh, went to the cross. So he wasn't really human, and he didn't really die. And in John four, one to three, we read this. John says, "Beloved." Do not believe every spirit, every te- you know, everything you hear, every doctrine, every te- don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. How, how, like, how do we know the truth? How do we know? He says, I'm going to give you a specific example. By this we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. He said, It's important of what you believe. You need to believe and understand that Jesus was fully human. Oh, he's, you know, he wasn't really human and he didn't really die. And just the spirit came on this guy for a time and then left him. And this was the, this is what they were trying to teach the people in there. And it was false teaching and it was spawned by evil, uh, by, by demonic powers. It's either of the spirit of God or it's not the spirit of God. And uh, all teaching is of one of two sources. It either comes from God or it comes, or it's denom- de- demonic. And, and how do you tell? You tell by the truth claims that they're making. If they're false claims, uh, you, you have to call that out. So if you say, I don't believe Jesus was really human. He says, you're not a child of God then. You need to believe the truth that Jesus has said about himself. A genuine faith is based on genuine truth given. In, in a bank, if they want to, 
if they want to teach the, their employees how to see counterfeit money, they don't show them the counterfeit. They have them study the real thing. And when they see and study the real thing, all of a sudden, they realize where, where there's error. They realize that something doesn't square. This doesn't feel the same. It doesn't look the same. It, it, you know, it, it's, it's not the same. And we, uh, we spent um, our, our Christmas series on Undercover Boss. That was all about Jesus coming, becoming a human, coming to earth at Christmas. That's what the whole point was. And, and he says, if you're going to refute that and say that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, then he says, you're not one of his because you can't believe that. See, Jesus become one of us. He experienced our pain and our sorrow and our, our being tempted and all of what we struggle with in life. And he came and, and died as a human being. He, he fully uh, identified with us in our humanity. Though he was God, he became one of us. He understood what it was, what we were going through. And he died as a human to take our place. And... and and he came as a second Adam. The, the first Adam messed it all up and, and, and plunged us into sin and degradation. And the second Adam, Jesus Christ, will come as a human being and make it right. And we come and see what a life looks like when he lives in the power of the Spirit as a human being around us. And he says it is important. It does make a difference. And... Uh, when they were told that Jesus was not really human, alarm bells should be sounding that that's from Antichrist, that's against Christ, that's false teaching. And these, these people are, are worming their way into, um, into the assembly. You know, when, when John starts this, in, in John 1, you think, it's kind of funny the way he starts the book. He says... Um, that which was from the beginning, from the beginning of Jesus' time, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest or made known, and we have seen it and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. Why are you saying all that stuff? Because the false teacher said he's not real. He said, no, we saw him. We observed him. We heard him. We touched him. We embraced him. He's a real human being. And if you want to discount that and say, ah, Jesus wasn't real, um, th then you just put yourself in a category of not a true follower of Jesus. There's something else kind of really interesting here. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he says that that which we have seen and heard and proclaimed also to you, so that you may have, John says, you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I see, and you think, you read that and you say, why don't you say so that you can have fellowship with God, the Father, and Jesus Christ? Why did you say, we, we're telling you this so you can have fellowship with us? Because if you have fellowship with the apostles, you have fellowship with the truth. And you have fellowship with God. And, and these other guys, if you have fellowship with them, if, if you're connected, if you're sharing with them, if you're close and have this intimate relationship with them, you're on the wrong side of truth. But if you're with us, you know, then, then we have fellowship with God, you have fellowship with us, you have fellowship with the right kind of teaching. And, and over in chapter... Um, in chapter 2 
and verse 19, here's what John says about these false teachers. He said, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are, are all not of us. He's saying, you know what? They split. The, the heat was turned up. They left. You know, there's some people, and, they, and they, they can come into a church, and they bring wrong doctrine with them. I remember in my previous church, there was a guy who, who came in. Somebody, somebody came to me. We had had a baptismal service that day. We had a great, uh, we had a great time, and um, they came, and they said, there's this guy out there, and he's, he's handing this stuff out. He went to our baptismal candidates and told them, you know, you, you didn't have a legitimate baptism because they didn't say the right words and your, your doctrine is wrong. And he started handing out. And I, I got the guy and I said, look, you can't do this. You're not welcome here. And uh, I said, uh, you will not uh, distribute that. I'm going to ask you to leave. And uh, he came back another time. And I, I said, you can come and you can sit there, but do not engage our people. You know what, you know what leadership is to do is to protect the body of Christ, from false and spurious uh, theological uh, contamination. And, And he wants us to know that the importance of truth, truth matters. And, and we're living a, we live in a day and age when you want to say that you have the truth and it's an exclusive truth. You're not going to be looked at very carefully. Now, now, we have to be, you know, the Bible says, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We have to be wise in that. But we can't, we can't imbibe the spirit of the age that says everything is good, everything is... That's garbage from the pit of hell. That's the kind of thing that condemns people to a Christless eternity. Truth is important. And we want, if you want certainty... Yes, we have to trust in Jesus, but we have to trust in the right Jesus, the Jesus who reveals himself. And it's sad to me to see that there are, there are churches, Protestant churches, that would declare that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God in the sense of he's God. Uh, he was the product of an illicit relationship between a young Jewish girl and a, uh, and a, a Roman soldier, and uh, he, he didn't really resurrect from the dead, and you know, he, but he's alive in our minds, and all this kind of garbage. It's garbage, and there are churches, there are some churches that teach that kind of stuff. And we have to understand and, and be faithful to what Jesus says about himself. But being instructed as believers, if we're believers, we will affirm the truth. We'll be on the side of truth. God will make that plain and evident to us. John says, by this you know the truth. Know, uh, you know God. You have confidence. You believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You believe that he's the Son of God. You believe that he's human and, and that he gave his life. Faith is always in truth. Faith is not some airy-fairy believing thing. Faith is in, uh, uh, in uh, truth propositions. And we believe what God said about Jesus and we cling to that truth. Listen to the words of Jesus. I am the way, the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody, nobody but nobody comes to the Father 
except through me. That's what Jesus says, that he's the exclusive way. In in Acts 4, here here are the apostles speaking to the Sanhedrin, uh, and they're talking about Jesus. And and so here the religious leaders who killed Jesus are calling up his disciples now as his apostles. And here's what Jesus says to them. He says, about there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus alone and understanding who he is. Truth matters. Um, the associate pastor at the church that I, I work with in Calcutta uh, had shared a few years ago, shared his testimony with me, and I just kind of updated to refresh my mind. He came from a, a Hindu home. And if you know the Hindu faith, there are millions upon millions of gods and goddesses. And the, the, uh, the Hindu priest came to their house. And in their, in their, uh, in their house, on the, the living room wall, were pictures of all these gods and goddesses. And the Hindu priest came in and there was a picture of Jesus among them. Uh, Jesus is revered in India. Mahatma Gandhi said that probably the greatest uh, religious writing that has ever been done was Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there's great reverence for Jesus. Uh, as I found even in this song that I, uh, that I heard, Jesus, come and save us. And, and uh, so the, the Hindu priest, interestingly enough, saw a picture of Jesus, and he took the picture of Jesus off the wall, moved something, and put it in the center. He said, this is the most important God. This has to go in the center. It was fascinating. But wait, see, Jesus is just the best in your, in your estimation, the best of all these other gods. Who is, no, he's the only way. And if you deny that, you deny who he is. You say, well, jeepers, I didn't know. Like, to become a Christian, do I have to know all this huge amount of doctrine? Or how, how do I deal with that? I, I talked to a man. I had several conversations with a man in a long-term care facility. And I was going to be leaving, and I wouldn't see him again. And, and I just prayed for this guy and, and had these wonderful discussions and I said to him, Robert, I'm not going to see you again in all likelihood. And you haven't yet trusted Christ. But I want you to know that, Robert, if you're lying in your bed in the middle of the night, staring at the ceiling, and these things are bothering you, and, 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 and you are overcome with the sense of your unworthiness before God, I, I said, I wanted to leave him something that he could remember. I said this, Robert, Call on the name of the Lord. There wasn't a lot of theology to that. But that is repeated in Scripture. If you'll call on the name of the Lord. In other words, you realize you can't do it yourself. And you cry out to God for help and for mercy. And all I could leave him, this dear man with was, Robert, if you feel that you've come to the end of yourself, call on the name of the Lord. You see, truth matters. I had a professor that used to say this. He said, um, all theory is praxis laden and all praxis is theory laden. Let me translate that for you. All theory, all truth, all theology 
has attached to it um, implications. All truth has practical implications. And, and so it's not, just, it's not just trying to be fussy about, about well, God, Jesus has to be this and he has to be this, or you're not a Christian. All of these things are important because of what they mean to us in the end. You see, if Jesus is God, he is worthy of my adoration, my praise, my honor, my worship, my obedience. If he's just a good teacher, there's nothing of that. Um, If Jesus is human, he understands my pain and my agony and what I've gone through and the struggles of my uh, my humanity. As he lives as a human, he shows me how to live according to the Spirit. And he gives his life for mine as the second Adam. He, He gives his life... Uh, for my sin, that, that he might pay the penalty for my sin. And because he is a human being and the body is created by God and it's sacred, then I need to treat the body with respect and I need to pr- treat people with respect and, and I need to treat the body with a sense of holiness and dignity that comes from God. You see, some of these guys said, you know what, Jesus wasn't a real person and it was just like a spirit came down and the important thing is the spirit and it's not the body. So and they ran into problems with this kind of stuff, a rampant immorality and all, because it didn't matter, the body didn't matter. Those things are all tied to doctrine and teaching and truth. And, and the body is sacred because the body, the body is, is, is created by God in the image of God. And there's dignity and there's value and worth. So how we treat other people, how we treat ourselves, these are all important things. And it all comes out of having the right truth. And what we're committed to as a, truth, uh, as a church is to com- committed to sharing with you truth. Truth that will have implications for your life and how we live our life. But when it comes down to it, truth counts. And God is concerned for us. The truth matters. And the things that he tells us about Jesus, we need to be able to subscribe to that. And when the Spirit of God is working in you, say, it's right, it's true, and we live by this. Now, uh, team, if you come up, please. Um, through the, through the, uh, the years of church history, truth is always challenged you know, in Psalm 11, it says, if, if the foundations are, are, are crumbled, what, what will the righteous do? There's a sense in which the enemy will always attack at the truth claims of our church to try and get us off guard. And uh, probably about in the, in the vicinity of 1,700 years ago, the church facing some of these kind of crises um, developed a creed. A creed that they would use and say. A creed that would, would affirm for them what they believe. Because what we believe is important, folks. It's important to God. And so I want to invite you all to stand up. And let's, uh, let's recite the Apostles' Creed. Um, by the way, it says Catholic in there. It doesn't mean we're all Catholic. It just means the universal church, okay? But what they would do is week by week, they would affirm the truth uh, claims and, uh, through this. So let's, let's do this together, shall we? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. 
He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's sing.